are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. There are a lot of layers to the fashion supply chain. We've talked to farmers, mills, spinners, cut and sew factories, and more on this show. But some suppliers take on multiple parts of the production process and are what we call vertically integrated. Back in April, we teamed up with Transformers Foundation and three vertically integrated suppliers from Pakistan, India, and Turkey, respectively, for a live panel discussion about how vertical integration has shaped their journeys, both from a general business perspective and a sustainability perspective. This week, we're sharing an abridged version of that panel discussion on the podcast. But if you're interested in listening to the whole thing, be sure to check out the link in the show notes, which also comes with video. Transformers Foundation is the unified voice representing the denim industry and its ideas for positive change. We'll let Annie, a representative for Transformers Foundation, tell you more about it in just a minute. If you are on Instagram, please follow us to help us grow the conversation at manufactured underscore podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vertical Integration and the Fashion Supply Chain brought to you by Transformers Foundation and Manufactured. So my name is Annie, and I'm representing the Transformers Foundation today, joined by Kim Vanderweerd and Jesse Lee, who are the co-hosts of Manufactured Podcast and your moderators for today as well. Um, we're also joined by our lovely panelists who we'll be introducing in just a second. Um, but for those of you who don't know us, Manufactured is a podcast focused on featuring supplier perspectives on sustainable fashion. And Transformers Foundation is the unified voice representing the denim supply chain, all the way from farmers and chemical suppliers to denim mills and jeans factories. So the both of us spend a lot of time talking to fashion suppliers and wanted to join forces to create a space for cross-pollinate cross-pollination between the denim supply chain and the fashion supply chain at large. Um, so we at the foundation also approached Kim and Jesse because their loose thread series really caught our attention, um, which allows suppliers to share their thoughts anonymously. And with our ethical report that was released last year, we know how scary it can be as a supplier to voice your opinions publicly. So we approached Manufactured and this partnership was born. Um, and with that, I'm going to pass it on to Kim and Jesse. Thank you, Annie. Um, Thank you, Annie. Before I introduce each of our guests, I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts on why we are talking about vertical integration in the first place. Um, on the one hand, I think increasingly, especially since the pandemic, we hear a lot about brands investing more deeply in a smaller group of supply supplier relationships. And also, I think as a result, expecting suppliers to bring more to the table. So for example, the, the latest state of fashion report references a lot of different things that brands will be looking for from their strategic suppliers, like productivity, optimized inventory management, investment in technology, reduced environmental impact, flexibility, collaboration on components, agility, 
smaller batches, co-design, and more responsibilities for different parts of the production process are just a few things that are listed in that report. So that's a lot of things, and suppliers can't possibly do them all. And it's pretty important that they choose wisely, because in the same report, the State of Fashion 2021, there's a very sobering reality that's presented, which is that despite that many factories are shutting permanently as a result of the pandemic, just 17% of fashion companies say that they will co-invest in suppliers to secure future capacity. So which more exactly is most strategic, both from a business perspective, but also from the perspective of, of course, wanting and needing to accelerate sustainability change? So the three panelists we have from the fashion supply chain today are going to share their, their thoughts on these questions, um, as well as a little bit of their own vertical integration stories. So on that note, our first panelist is um, Ali Abdullah, who is the managing director of Diamond Denim in Pakistan, and he oversees raw material procurement, production, product development, sales, and finance for the company, which employs about 4,000 people. Diamond Denim started out um, as a Grish fabric weaver in the 1990s, and in 2013, they started making denim fabric, which then led them to go to doing assembly, which then led them back to making the yarn. And I think what's interesting to point out about Diamond Denim is that in addition to being vertically integrated, all of these production processes are being done in the same single location, in the same facility. And we'll hear a little bit more about that in a minute. Our second panelist is Mr. Halit, who's the general manager and board member of Kipash Holdings. So Kipash is a Turkish company operating across six different industries with 25 factories and 10,000 employees. They started out with spinning in the late 80s, moving into weaving and ultimately assembly in the 90s before getting into other industries like paper, energy and cement throughout the 2000s. Kipash has been a pioneer in the sustainability space. They were one of the first companies to start looking at more sustainable fabric options. And more recently, they've committed to being carbon positive by, 2000, by 2030, excuse me. And for Kipash, sustainability is not just about fabric, but about process and about, about control over process. And so we're going to hear a little bit about how being vertically integrated has given them control over that process. And last but not least, our third panelist is Anat Ahusha. And Anat is the head of organizational development at Shahi Exports and CEO and co-founder at Good Business Lab. Shahi was founded in 1974 by Anant's grandmother who began as a sewing machine operator herself. Shahi is India's largest exporter of ready-made garments with over 100,000 employees, three mills and 65 factories. They too do everything from spinning through to assembly of finished garments. And in addition to physical goods, they also offer a lot of soft services to the, to the brands that they work with, like product design, logistics, vendor managed inventory. And through their work with, um, with Good Business Lab <coughs> and the organizational development department within Shahi, sustainability and worker well-being have also become a kind of service um, that they offer the brands that they work with. So unlike Diamond Denim and Kipash, it's, it's important to note that Shahi is not focused exclusively on denim and makes a wide range of different types of garments. So 
before we get into things, a quick note on the structure. We're going to allow each of the panelists some time to respond to some questions and to share a little bit about themselves before we ultimately open this up for Q&A and discussion, both amongst the panelists themselves, but also with the audience. So, Ali, I want to turn to you. Why did Diamond Denim gradually start to take on more and more parts of the denim production process? Hi. Uh, so, um... Uh, shortly after we started uh, manufacturing denim fabrics in 2013, we came to a few uh, key realizations about the market dynamics. Uh, the first one being that our customer wanted, uh, they wanted to order less, they wanted to keep their inventory levels as low as possible, and they wanted to make their uh, decision making as late in the cycle, given how fast uh, fashion trends uh, change these days. And another one was that they wanted to uh, outsource or pass on more and more of the selection process uh, out to garment makers. Uh, so in order to adapt uh, to these uh, rapidly evolving market dynamics, uh, we uh, made the decision to integrate forward into garments, uh, uh, garment making and backwards uh, into yarn manufacturing. So by doing this, we were able to optimize on timelines. So we were able to be faster. We were, we were able to be more efficient in terms of uh, costs as well. And at the same time, we were also able to maintain an influence on the development uh, process of the fabric so that we can ensure that our raw material uh, remains an important part uh, of their product. Uh, another key trend that we saw coming up uh, was uh, traceability and sustainability. Uh, and integration has a, plays a massive role uh, in helping us uh, uh, deliver that. Uh, uh, so. What it basically came down to at the time was uh, how fast we can deliver a sustainable product uh, to the customers. Uh, and that's why vertical integration just made a lot of sense for us. I want to go back to the single location. So you've, you know, you've talked about how for you, vertical integration was in part a business decision about being able to sort of manage costs, about being able to offer lower inventory levels and having total control over the development process, as well as an important part of sustainability and being able to offer a traceable product quickly. But why in one place? Ultimately, it, it actually had... Uh, a lot of uh, uh, benefits uh, to doing it. So the logistics of it all were just simpler. Um, uh, to give you some examples, uh, all of our teams sit together. Uh, so we're able to improve communication, uh, reduce uh, potential issues that we have in terms of quality, in terms of um, uh, speed, uh, in terms of timelines. Uh, so the issues are just sorted out uh, faster. Uh, we have our we have a central planning team uh, that actually works to maintain an order equilibrium between the divisions uh, so that we can ensure that if we need to speed up the fabric making process or the yarn making process, we need to shuffle some orders around to ensure that our, uh, we maintain an optimal capacity to maintain, to sort of hold our costs in place. Uh, we're able to do that more effectively in one location. Um, uh, we're able to have a centralized uh, engineering and utility department. Uh, so we're able to not only keep our energy costs lower by uh, making it, uh, uh, making more energy in the same location, but we're also uh, a bit more efficient uh, by benefiting from the scale of it all. 
um, uh, we don't have to transport any material. Uh, it's all done within the same four walls. Uh, we're able to use reusable packing materials uh, because they're simply moving in the same facility and uh, move back uh, as soon as uh, we're done using them. Uh, we're able to generally uh, eliminate waste. Um, uh, in terms of uh, water treatment, for example, we're able to treat all our water from our garment making and our fabric making uh, and the little bit of water we use in the other spinning and, and weaving processes uh, together. So it helps us lower the cost of that as well. So we're able to have that sustainability at a cheaper cost. Um, we're working on investing in water recycling. Uh, so doing it at that larger scale will again uh, have the same benefits uh, in doing that. So we're just able to run a whole lot more efficiently. Uh, uh, and at the end of the day, it's uh, the customer who benefits uh, from that. Tell me if I got it right. But basically what I hear you saying is that like, by having everything in one place, you're spreading all the various overheads of running a, uh, a production, basically of any kind of production out over multiple sort of parts of the production process. So for instance, you, you talked about planning, you talked about engineering, you talked about water treatment, and that sort of like all those fixed costs that a manufacturer might have to have if you are doing them in one location can be sort of spread out over more things. Absolutely. Uh, it, it just makes it a whole lot easier. Obviously, the upfront uh, investment is a bit higher, but the running costs are lower and that helps us uh, just be more efficient in general. But that's exactly what it is. I suspect that there are a lot of smaller manufacturers in the audience and who are looking at this or hearing your story and thinking, well, this all sounds great. And yes, okay, this sort of single location, the centralization might help or might is useful advice. But what really would your advice be to smaller manufacturers who, like you said, can't afford to, to make that upfront investment? Uh, so uh, uh, one thing is clear that, that uh, like you mentioned uh, in, your, in, in your introduction as well, uh, that a lot of uh, th this is what the customers are pushing us towards. Uh, and uh, and uh, so when we actually started our vertical integration project, we very quickly realized that it's going to be a long-term implementation. The investment costs are quite high. Um, so we said we put a time scale of a minimum of four to five years before we can be truly vertical. And uh, But we could not afford to wait for four to five years before um, uh, sort of leveraging from those benefits. So uh, while... We could not, uh, while we did not benefit from um, uh, having everything in that single location, uh, what we were able to do or what we did do was we um, integrated, we sort of partnered with several spinning mills where we locked in, made capacity commitments and were able to take over part of their planning. So we were able to leverage uh, the, uh, the planning uh, uh, ability. We were able to even lower our costs by uh, locking in uh, certain capacities with them. Uh, and uh, we did the same with garment makers as well, uh, where we uh, offered them attractive pricing. We offered them fi uh, fixed capacities, and we also offered uh, to work very closely with them in terms of fabric development uh, to be more sustainable, to make uh, colors that wash off um, in certain ways that, uh, that they can wash more sustainably, um, and various other factors. So they were able to sort of benefit. So all three... Uh, parts put together, the spinning, the fabric, and the garments, we were effectively able to become virtually vertical. And um, so while you don't get all the benefits of, of being truly vertical, you can definitely 
get a lot of the benefits if you are able to form such partnerships. What do you think? I mean, I'm thinking about like, I'm thinking actually about the, the factory that I used to manage and whether this is something that we would have been able to do, which was a small factory. And one of the things, like one of the questions that pops up into my head as you, as I hear you speak is like, you know, we were not a very, we were not relative to most of our material vendors. We were not a very important customer. Like the volumes that we were buying relative to their total revenue was, was not very big. Do you think that this idea of being virtually vertically integrated is, is still an option for, for, for companies like that? I think, I think uh, it, uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to relationships uh, with suppliers and, and vendors. Uh, in our case, uh, we did work with several larger, uh, significantly larger factories as well. We had uh, very small capacity commitments with a couple of vendors. Uh, so it was, it was just about uh, sort of finding the right uh, partners, let's say, uh, in terms of, uh, so at least in our case, uh, the scale uh, did not make uh, that big of a difference because we did work with small capacities. But I can see it being uh, harder in some cases and in some parts of the supply chain and in some industries to be able to do that. But I think if, you're, if, if we're able to identify the right partners, it's certainly possible. I think that's a really interesting point. And just a little bit of context also for why I asked that question is because I think, especially in sustainable fashion spaces, you hear a lot about leverage, 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 ways of sort of having more leverage over your supply chain. And usually that's tied to size. And I think a lot of brands seek to sort of you know, consolidate and and coordinate their efforts in terms of dealing with their suppliers because that gives them more quote unquote leverage. And so I really like this idea of what you're putting forward, which is that actually, you know, maybe leverage isn't the key. Maybe it's relationships and maybe leverage is part of a relationship, but it's also something much deeper than that. Um, thank you for sharing a bit about your story and about Diamond Denim. We're going to come back to you. I want to move now to Mr. Halit, um, who, as I mentioned, is uh, of Kipash Holdings. Um, Halit, I would like to start by asking you, you know, one of the things we talked about when we, when we chatted last time is that being in control of the process is really important to keep us both from a sustainability perspective, but also just from a business perspective. Um, I want to ask you to elaborate a little bit on that. Why is control over process so important to you? Uh, hello again. Uh, yes. Uh, in terms of business perspective, uh, first of all, uh, it is uh, uh, quite important being a vertical operation uh, because uh, uh, the supply chain, as much as uh, under your control, uh, it gives you uh, it gives business more flexibility uh, to give better service our customers, and uh, it is uh, a big power. And uh, the fa fashion trends are changing. Very quickly, so uh, having uh, everything uh, vertical, it uh, helps uh, being flexible, uh, and uh, for sure there is very significant uh, cost uh, efficiency 
you are uh, more under control uh, all type of uh, cost but at the same time it is uh, not easy uh, because uh, all the uh, challenges uh, which may happen uh, during production processes uh, it is not uh, easy to manage you know uh, textile is very uh, a challenging business there are a lot of faults there are a lot of uh, mistakes uh, during productions and uh, when there is a, pro- a problem in a weaving stage you normally easily can blame a yarn uh, producer but uh, in this case <laughs> you have no chance to blame anybody it's yourself or uh, a dye house it is same they blame a fabric manufacturer but it is yourself So it is a big challenge. Uh, you cannot uh, blame anybody. You have to solve everything internally. And another challenge, uh, uh, you know, we are now living in uh, audit uh, time. Uh, all customers are auditing. There are companies are auditing. Uh, we have self-auditing. So uh, our business places are... Uh, Uh, very much bored about being audited from somebody uh, but uh, when you are vertical uh, main customer uh, see uh, only one entity i mean it is kipash okay but kipash is 25 factories uh, so one of our factory have uh, a major mistake that uh, uh, that this brand doesn't want it affects all these 25 factories So uh, it is uh, also not easy uh, situation. So it is, uh, I think, a b- big challenge uh, for uh, current uh, times. Uh, but uh, anyway, it is uh, very uh, convenient uh, to compete with our customers and to survive in this uh, profit-oriented uh, business. Uh, and in terms of uh, sustainability it is i think the most benef- most uh, it is the biggest uh, benefit about uh, being vertical uh, and for the countries like uh, uh, turkey i'm sure uh, it is same with uh, many companies many countries we are also growing our own raw material in uh, some cases and we are close to raw material sources and uh, by doing that uh, having our own spinning our weaving and our dyeing finishing uh, denim facilities all together uh, there there are very minimum uh, uh, transportation occurs uh, additionally uh, controlling the waste is very important because uh, currently uh, we are doing out of production from our pre-consumer Uh, waste. It is post-industrial in other terms. Uh, so uh, we are uh, managing our uh, reusable uh, form bases and uh, we are also uh, returning, uh, we, we reopening this, uh, uh, these products and we make again we spin new yarns and we make new fabrics out of that so it is our under our control it helps us to uh, give uh, good service to our customers uh, and there are more benefits about uh, sustainability in terms of uh, i mean labor uh, side because uh, we are uh, uh, 
confident about uh, using our uh, uh, labor force very uh, effectively. So it is it also helps our uh, organization. Thank you for sharing a bit about the Kipash story. So I want to move on to Anant. And um, Anant, we recently, so you've been on the Manufactured Podcast. And if you're interested in listening to those episodes, we highly recommend going back and tuning in. That's episode 27 and 28. And Anant is joined by his colleague, Gauri Sharma. And we recently, and I know that you are good friends with the team at HK Rita, and we recently did a podcast episode with Edwin Kay of HK Rita, and we highly recommend going back and listening to those episodes too. That's episode 25 and 26. And he said something that's really stuck with us and that um, uh, you and me together with Jesse have, have talked about before. And that's the, the reality that actually the the prices for physical goods are deflationary. And that's not going to change. A manufacturer is never going to be paid more for making a good than they are today. And um, his advice to suppliers was basically to get into data to data and services and to find different ways of adding value that maybe don't have anything to do with the physical properties of the product itself. So I'd like to maybe have you share a little bit about, because Shahi is of course vertically integrated in terms of its production processes, but you've also taken on several additional types of services. And um, I'd like to ask you to share a little bit about the operational services that Shahi offers the brands that it works with. Maybe I can kind of, uh, you know, take a step back, uh, just go over a few aspects of Shahi, which, you know, you did mention in the introduction, but just to give context and then talk about, um, you know, some of the services that Shahi offers and the value it's, it brings to, to our customers. So as you mentioned, um, you know, Shahi's fully vertically, vertically integrated uh, manufacturing company. Um, what I mean by that is we basically source cotton after the ginning process, and then we export finished goods in the form of, of ready-made garments. Um, the business, like you said, it was started by my grandmother in, in the seventies. It started as like a small kind of home-based setup with just a handful of sewing machines. So it's definitely been a long journey towards achieving, um, you know, the level of capabilities that we have today. And, all of this was done in order to, re- to remain competitive and to grow. Um, I mean, you're hearing from two other great manufacturers and it just goes to show how much competition there is um, as a supplier in this industry. Um, and, you know, even as a brand and, and you know, many other, uh, you know, uh, parts of this, this industry face similar levels of, of intense competition. Um, but, you know, one key motivation at Shahi that's kind of uh, fueled this growth has been sort of this idea. I think it's been realized more recently, but it's this idea that this sector, the garment industry, the textile industry, it has this really unique ability to create jobs for low income workers and in particular women um, who, you know, in a country like India are largely locked out of the labor force. So I think when that sort of, I guess you could say like mission to 
uh, society or however you want to think about it has been really powerful kind of motivation um, beyond just maximizing profits and, you know, uh, so on. So uh, that's just a bit of context and background, but I'll quickly share kind of four broad areas of expansion or, or of services that Shahi offers to our customers. I think, you know, a lot of this has already been covered. Um, I'll try to maybe touch on some that haven't been addressed as much. Um, so, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about design and uh, in this part of the world, there is a lot of design talent. Um, so Shahi's been able to kind of leverage that. And at this point, we actually have a team of over a hundred designers who are in-house and we pitch designs uh, for different collections to our customers. Um, speaking on vertical integration or breaking down vertical integration into a couple different components. Firstly, you have fabric innovation. So being able to make our own fabric, it, it allows us to sort of innovate on new materials and, and you know, experiment with that. Um, recently, something that, that's been really exciting is we've been working on sustainable fabrics, including a cradle-to-cradle certified woven dress, um, which I think was a lot e- easier to do at Shahi because we had that you know, uh, backward integration. Um, cost saving, I think, you know, that's obviously initial main motivation for most people. Uh, but, you know, to put that into perspective, around half the cost of a garment is the fabric cost. And if you can't control that, then a lot of your ability to, you know, um, to grow and, and be successful is out of your control. So we're now able to kind of save on the costs associated with dealing with vendors for buying fabrics. And also things that you may not think about, such as the time you spend negotiating uh, with fabric mills and dealing with, you know, the kinds of issues that can happen on the quality front. Um, and then the two other components on vertical integration, one is traceability, which we which has come up already in, in today's talk. Um, but yeah, just being able to manage the entire sort of process of production from spinning onwards, it gives us traceability into the materials Uh, the environmental impact, and of course, the working conditions, um, which I think is, you know, a growing topic of conversation. Um, And then last of all is speed. I think uh, I mentioned this already, but saving time on negotiating, being able to stock fabric that we know we'll need, even, you know, some of the things that Ali mentioned about the closeness. So here in India, the supply chain, everything exists. You know, there's India's uh, the largest uh, exporter of cotton, there's a long history of textiles. Uh, there's a lot of labor force and garment factories, but the entire supply chain is sort of dispersed all over the country. So, you know, being able to consolidate it in one place um, can save you from having to, you know, buy cotton here, make the yarn here, you know, uh, and have all, all of those like logistical challenges. So, so yeah, I think that, that covers um, vertical integration and, you know, maybe, you know, as we go forward in this conversation, I can talk sort of about worker well-being and some of the other services. I want to highlight one thing that you said, which is that you have a hundred designers on your team, which is a lot. And I think especially interesting, given that I think sort of in the public imagination, there's this idea that what the brand brings to the table is the design aspect, whereas what the supplier brings to the table or the manufacturer brings to the table is 
executing, you know, figuring out how to, you know, bring, make those designs and bring them to life. I want to open it up to audience questions. I'm going to put this one to Ali about how has vertical integration in any way helped with better planning slash forecasting and better control over stock management? Um, It's uh, helped us massively uh, with uh, planning, as I mentioned. Uh, but uh, I, I, I uh, forgot to mention the, the our own inventory levels, and I think that's a that's a great point. So, when in order to manage lead times, what we were doing before we integrated vertically or before we even formed partnerships was that we'd carry stocks of basic yarns, or, or uh, and and uh, over time, and for our garment making, even even fabrics uh, when we started off. But over time. Um, uh, when we did integrate, uh, we were able to make them a lot faster as and when we need them. Uh, so it does help us uh, massively in that regard. The stock that we do need to keep, uh, and that's still a bit of a, a financial investment, is the cotton. Because it generally makes sense to buy cotton uh, during the during the local season. Uh, so we're able to buy more economically. Uh, but uh, the advantage we still have is that we're not making a specific yarn out of that. So our risk on inventory is a whole lot lower because cotton is quite uh, liquid. One of the things that you said, Ali, um, last time we talked, which I think is an interesting point to bring up here as well, is the impact of vertical integration on your capacity planning. So not only on the material side, but also the, the labor side, because as a manufacturer, the thing that drives your cost more than anything else in terms of labor costs is you know these fluctuations in 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 no not fluctuations unanticipated fluctuations in demand so can you tell us i think just a little bit about how it's also impacted your ability to manage your labor capacity so in 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 the garment making industry in particular uh paying uh, uh, paying a piece rate uh, uh, per garment stitch to the worker is a norm. Uh, what uh, from the get go uh, we actually decided not to do that, uh, and uh, because we thought uh, we're able to number one uh, pay the worker uh, a consistent salary in which he can plan, they can plan their finances on, and we at the end also get better quality since the worker is not really pushed uh, to. Uh, to make more, to earn more. Uh, we were only able to do that uh, because we were vertical. Uh, so obviously, because it's a fixed cost, we need to uh, ensure that we're at that level of efficiency or at that level of optimization. So by being uh, vertical, we were able to uh, ensure or we are able to ensure that, we're, that we balance the demand. So if we need fabric, faster to feed into the garments, we're able to do that. If we need to make garments slightly earlier for a customer, uh, we're able to do that. Uh, so uh, it makes it a whole lot easier uh, to uh, support our workers a bit more. Thank you. Um, there's another question from the audience, which I'm going to put to Anant, which is what do you think of brands that do their own production uh, or that own their own production facilities? And would integrating brands and retailers, I guess, in a more structural way, actually benefit uh, the factory and by extension, therefore, their workers? Yeah, it's a really interesting topic. I think that 
um, maybe we're coming full circle because I know historically there are a lot of brands that did own their own production. In fact, I think that's how it sort of started. Um, you look at some of these classic sort of brands, whether it's kind of Levi's or Carhartt or others that, you know, um, that may have done it in that way. And then it moved to this model, obviously, of outsourcing. Um, and now, you know, there's so many possibilities in the world today. And one that, you know, we're interested and keen to explore is, is, is an idea of sort of what, you know, what some call onshore manufacturing. Um, but I don't think anyone's been able to kind of crack that or figure it out at scale. One option, one you know, way we're exploring that is as a partnership between um, a few different brands and other suppliers. And the idea is it's all really about you know, um, being able to manufacture in a way where uh, inventory is completely controlled. So it's almost, I mean, the extreme, the full extent to what we would hope to achieve is like on-demand manufacturing. Um, and I think like in order to figure out something as complex and innovative as that, you know, it would be useful to kind of bring together uh, manufacturing expertise, knowledge of the market, branding, design, and all the other things that have become sort of uh, separated at this point. Yes, the blurring of the line between supplier and brand. Exactly. Um, Jesse, we have one more question that's just come in from the audience, but I want to make sure you have a chance too. Ali, so Ali, I think lots of people like me are very curious about this vertical integration. Um, my question is mostly about the uh, tension between quick response and flexibility of raw material production. Because I imagine comparing with a single cut and sew facilities, you a vertical integration, uh, vertical integrated facility, of course, can build its uh, fast response to its clients. But then comparing with a single cut and sew facility, a vertical integrated facility now. I think lose a fabric meal or raw material producer becomes part of itself and the operational cost is uh, fixed. I found a part of my answer from what you shared just now that when there is a large surge of orders coming in from the client side, you can use the tool called virtual integration to book the capacities of, of fabric meals, let's say, uh, out of your group. But what if like last year, when pandemic happens at the beginning, suddenly lots of orders were swept out. So at that moment, how vertical uh, integrated facility deal with that orders dropping down, yet the raw material production capacity is hanging there? So, so we were uh, no doubt uh, hit quite hard uh, when the when the pandemic hit. Um, I think uh, vertically. Uh, integrated facilities are in general uh, more impacted when orders go to zero, let's say. Um, uh, and uh, that's a very rare occurrence. Uh, we, I hope it never happens again. Uh, because, uh, but we never know what's going to happen in this world. But uh, uh, with what uh, for us, actually, we were a bit lucky uh, where uh, on the apparel side of things, uh, we actually did have a few orders flowing in. And we were able to actually use that to sustain the other parts of the chain. 
um so uh, but i i actually do talk that down to lot because i do know of several uh, of my friends and several of my competitors that actually uh, did not have those few orders to run uh, so in our case vertical integration uh, uh, turned out to be lucky because just because we had uh, we were making the end product we were able to make the fabric for that end product and able to make the yarn for that end product but um, there's no doubt that in uh, uh when you are uh, vertical you are inherently uh, larger and when you are larger uh, when orders go to zero you are hit harder yeah yeah let's hope that will never happen again <laughs> thank you ali That's thank you for sharing yeah it's it's, it's interesting cuz on the one hand yeah being vertical integration means a lot more fixed costs and that makes you a lot more vulnerable but on the other hand i really like what you said about you know it's higher risk you're a lot more vulnerable but it also gives you options and Absolutely. it sounds like those options are sort of what what saved you in the end i have a we've got 5 minutes left and i want to actually pick up on this traceability question because it's obviously a hot topic right now and the question is and i think that there are a lot of people within the sustainable fashion space who question how possible traceability really is and and actually on the on the podcast we've had two different guests who spoke directly and indirectly to this issue the first was Canon Michael a cotton grower from California and we talked to him in episodes 41 and 42 and and that episode was actually another product of our collaboration with Transformers Foundation and the second was Crispin Argento the managing director of the sorcery um and we talked to him in episodes 43 and 44 and i kind of want to ask you uh and uh, this isn't a question for anyone in particular so for whoever wants to answer it do you think that vertical integration is actually the only way to ensure traceability do you think it's possible to do traceability if you're not vertically integrated Ali <laughs> I think I think vertical integration makes it a, a lot easier uh I think um, it's certainly possible without but traceability uh comes down to a lot of trust uh, so what I feel at least is that even though we're talking more about traceability now and the reasons behind us looking into traceability is ensuring that they're coming from a fair uh fairly paid worker field right uh, so that they come so it's ethically grown for example and and i think that was always everybody just assumed that that's implicit and we're just realizing that it's becoming more and more of a problem and i think the real gap there is 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 trust uh, and i think um uh it's it's definitely possible to do without there's a lot of investment going on in and a lot of research going on in these traces uh going in uh going into the fiber to fiber level and then tracing back to it but i think uh, in the future it's a lot of it's going to come down to uh trust uh, at least that's what my opinion on that note i want to thank all three of you ali anand and halid for agreeing to come on this panel it was such a pleasure getting to know a little bit more about your stories and i want to thank transformers foundation for helping us to organize this and working with us on this event and creating a space for these kinds of conversations because 
um, I think they're, they're very needed. Annie, is there anything you want to say to close or are we good to, 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 to close this on here? You're yeah, back. Thank okay. you so much everyone for your time today. Um, so yeah, so enjoy your day and thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.